0: Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no-holds-barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. As always, we would like to give a quick shout out to the following new patrons that have joined since our last podcast. A shout out and huge thank you to our new patrons: Preston Jennifer, Dana, Lisa, Connie, Dustin, Jamie, Vicki, Deborah, Kate, Stacy, Jody, Susie, Andrea Carly, Sherry, Boyd, Julia, Danielle, Betty, Chris, Amy, Amanda Denise, Amy Michelle, Rhonda, Nate, Georgine, Jen, Mary, Reese. And Hayes. Thank you guys so much for your support, and I hope you're enjoying Patreon. As many of you know, we published a podcast a few weeks ago with Casey. She's a patient in North Carolina who was dismissed from her doctor for no fault of her own. And she recorded the doctor's appointment, and I interviewed Casey after playing the appointment for you guys to hear. So, today, this is part two of the podcast. And after she left that doctor, was able to get an appointment with the new doctor and recorded that appointment also. What you're about to hear is Casey's recorded appointment with this second doctor. And then after, you will hear an interview between Casey and me explaining how she felt and letting me know how she's doing now.
1: Got the reports of this stuff. I don't know if we've uploaded those into the pack system or not. I didn't plug I was gonna PAC leave system. them if you guys needed the whatever. If you leave them with this, essentially we can upload them into the pack system so we can review them ourselves. Kind of deal. But I do have the reports on most of your stuff. Duke is
2: also sending to more discs with okay. a ton more with myelogram and all that fun torture stuff they did so
1: Okay, so you did see the them there at Duke yep. and they got some stuff. They've okay. actually
2: recommended a fusion from T He got with, like, the, I guess, the back surgeons up there and talked to all of them, recommended that I go for two-day surgery, fused from T10 to the bottom S1 that I'm currently fused at. For what? I have scoliosis. Okay. They went in. So I've had three surgeries. So you're fused at L5S1, correct? Right now. Gotcha. I have a 40-degree curve on bottom. It's right at 40 and then right at 30 on top. So, progressively, he's just gotten worse. And I've had a lot of pain with it. So, after Duke suggested that, I started having problems with doctors being like, you're too advanced. I don't know what to do with you. You know what I mean? I was actually seeing her a while. She got fired or something happened. And then I... He told me that I was too advanced for him, so it was a sudden just drop and... I
1: can tell you why that is. Why? You're a young individual and you're on a lot of narcotics.
2: Yeah, well, and he...
1: He purged you from his list probably. Yeah, just like, there
2: was no warning.
1: He probably had an excuse. So typically it's very difficult to fire a pain patient unless you have an excuse. So if you broke the pain contract, kind of type deal. If you give us even one, give us an excuse and you don't want you on your roll. No,
2: I so I think he was wanting me out of there anyway because of my age, yeah. um, and he was—he told me you've been led down the wrong path, and I was like, I understand what you're saying, but yeah. Yeah. I'm not functioning. So what I have done since then, I got this, which works like kinesic tape. Okay. I wear it. You build up. Okay, I have a doctor in. Pennsylvania is helping with this. It helps muscle memory build back. I also have a movement specialist does Pilates. Costs a lot of money, and she helps me exercise where yeah. I'm not hurting myself. Yeah. Sure. So I'm trying my best. I don't know what else to do. We're trying to find another surgeon. Nobody's recommended another surgeon or a hospital to me. They just keep telling me to get a bigger facility. Yeah.
1: So I'm I I'm stuck. So okay. Well, need for another surgeon. You've already seen the folks there at Duke. They've already come up with some sort of surgical plan for you. Are you trying to get a second opinion? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Gotcha. And I,
2: so I had to call advocacy with Duke because I could not get them to get back in touch with me. So after I called advocacy, they did get back in touch with me. He recommended the surgery. I've not heard anything since. Okay.
1: So back pain, right? So back pain related scoliosis, surgical outcomes, things like that, right? So what is that surgery good for? What is it not good for? So back surgery is good for neuropathic complaints related to spines or stabilizing things, getting rid of cancer, getting rid of infection, stuff like that, right? So if most of your pain is in your back for the sake of your back, that probably won't be helpful. The stuff going down the leg surgery may be helpful for that. It may not be. It really just depends on where that problem's coming from.
2: It's actually made my leg worse.
1: Okay. It's also
2: made the weakness. And I cannot lift it. I'm getting that drag-like syndrome every now and then. Yeah, gotcha.
1: Unfortunately, man, it's like, I don't necessarily disagree with some of the things that you've been told in the past. I, I, you're young. You're on a lot of narcotics. You're up to like 100 and something MMEs as far as... Yeah. Morphean ones Oh, okay. I was like, whoa, no. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I forgot that they did that. That's, weird. that's how yes, we Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I no, forgot no, about that. No, you're good. I do have a reservation about that stuff. Quite frankly, I don't have anybody in my clinic that is your age on that much narcotics. I can okay. tell you that. The government wants us to keep folks around 40 MMEs kind of type deal, and everybody can play by those rules, but that's essentially the rule. Okay. You know.
2: And I think that's what Dr. was trying to explain. Right.
1: However, it wasn't explained. It was... Gone. Does that make sense? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So that's that's kind of our reservations. I, I would have those same reservations kind of type of deal. The other thing about this is, it's like, hey, if you're talking to folks that do, you have a surgical plan, things like that, and if you're already exploring having a big surgery in a big tertiary center, it's one of those things that we typically try to keep everything within the same center. Now, the reason why it isn't, is not because people are trying to necessarily pass you off. It's because my system does not talk to Duke's system right. at all. absolutely, I understand. We don't, have, we don't have the same EHRs, we don't have the same docs, we don't have the same nurses, we don't have the same anything. Right. So for me, to manage your pain as you go through a big surgery, T-something down to S1 fusion kind of type deal, and to be able to coordinate care, guess what's not going to happen? Coordination care.
2: Yeah, like well, and so here's the, so I checked with Duke pain. Mm-hmm. checked okay. with all of that. The problem is I can't drive every month to get there. I can't drive over there. So I'm kind of in a place where I need somewhere to land for a little while so that I can find out, do I want to go ahead with another, do I even want to try another surgery? You know what I mean? Or do I want to give the suit a try, see how we do in a year. But I'm not able, my functioning is not, it is a a day-to-day thing of me waking up every three hours Ice, shower, go to the TENS unit, and and I mean it is constant.
1: Yeah, it's called a pain ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the chronic pain, unfortunately, I have to do that. Right. It's an unfortunate plight in life. Right. You're not the only person having to go through. I understand. That is, that is a lot of my patients' lives and what they have to do. I think, again, you know, you have a need kind of type deal. You know, you have a surgical plan. Right. Quite frankly, right. I'm not so sure I see the surgical plan the same you know, looking at your imaging and things like that, but I'm not a surgeon, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you. Can
2: I add one thing? I feel like he was, I haven't met a doctor that can tell me you are not doing further damage by not doing anything because they can't tell me if this is permanent but they're not saying that it's going to get better. Does that make sense? And so I am. I, don't, I really don't know what you're talking about. <coughs> my nerve, my S1, the um, shooting pain, the wind, yeah. and the my leg just giving out, me hitting the floor. Okay. That is kind of how all this got started. Gotcha.
1: Now, nerve damage. Whenever, like, I'm a I'm a I'm a neural rehabilitation specialist, okay. right? So that's what I did my residency. So when folks say nerve damage, kind of thing, deal I'm looking for actual
2: nerve damage, Okay. you know. When they they fused me, and they explained it like this. That nerve is being hit, right? It's being irritated. The longer it goes, nerve issues can cause permanent damage if it's not fixed. When When
1: was your fusion?
2: My fusion was November 17th of 2021. Okay. Did you
1: have the nerve study before or after your surgery?
2: They did. I'm pretty sure they did one. They did one right after the surgery, like immediately. It was like within a week because I was telling them I'm having tons of nerve pain. Okay. What is going on?
1: So I can speak to the nerve study at that point mm-hmm. in time. You know, it was after your surgery, kind of type deal. Depends on how long afterwards, and are the symptoms the same or not? You had some mild chronic changes in one of the nerve roots kind of type deal, but it didn't seem to be active, which is a good thing. It's like, hey, it was dinged at some point in time, kind of type deal. You may have had some change related to that. Nice thing is it doesn't seem to be active and ongoing. So it's a good thing, right? But that was back in 2021, right? Yeah. But honestly, man, looking at your MRIs, looking at your nerve studies, putting all this stuff together, I don't really know if surgery is in your future or not. I don't want to. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to. Sure. What I can tell you is is 100 MES of oxycodone with our clinic, that will not happen. Okay. Um, so, you, hey, you know, quite frankly, it's like, hey, you're an adult. I'm an adult. I don't want to waste your time. I'm sure you don't want to waste my yeah. time Contact you. I I'll cut through the shit. I don't like having folks your age on oxy, period. I understand. Little I don't like being honest. Yeah. I don't want to come here. You know what I mean? Understood. Like I
2: don't
1: want to go through all this. Understood. So I don't know if we're going to be the clinic or not kind of type deal, knowing some of this history of things and how much you've gone on, kind of what it's taken in the past. So, and it's like, hey, if you don't want to play our rules, kind of type deal, that's we're just, not a good fit, we may not even want to start the game, right. kind of type deal. So, you know, with me, it's like, hey man, I'm not going to give you anywhere close to that much oxy, and my goal would be to get you off the stuff, just
2: period. Just uh, that's my goal, okay. but how am I supposed to do that when I've done everything? Okay, so. I guess my issue is I started this process because this started getting bad in 2017 and I've been bounce, 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 get to surgeons, the surgeon says, okay, if if this doesn't work, we'll do another one. And then I get bounce, 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 so I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go. I'm just, everybody's just like, I don't know what to do for you. You're young. This sucks. I'm sorry. So what would you suggest? The
1: things I would suggest, I'm not going to impress anybody. Right. So the best things you can do for yourself and your back health kind of type deal is going to be maintaining a good body weight, living a healthy lifestyle, exercising, sleeping well, just the things for a healthy lifestyle. Right. right? Doing that the best you can, and then essentially tolerating the symptoms the best you can. Now that doesn't mean that like running to like a medication or running to this, that, or the other. Sometimes it is doing your pain ritual, whatever that means to you. Maybe that sometimes it is like a little injection here or the other. You know, maybe it is a surgery that may be able to help you out with some of this. My gestalt, my gut's telling me, hey man, I don't think there's one surgeon or one surgery that's going to fix all of this. Yeah. I don't think it exists. I think some of this is non-fixable, unfortunately. So it's like, hey, managing expectations and learning to live in life in a painful body is a part of this, you know, kind of type deal. And again, I'm not going to impress anybody, but tell somebody that, you know, kind of type deal. But you know, throwing a hundred something mms of oxycodone at a thirty-something-year-old is also not going to do you any
2: favors either. Yeah, I mean, I understand, but I've been on those meds forever. I was stable. I was doing fine, and I was trying to get time to get to make a decision. And I guess my issue comes in that like. They just tell people, you know, we can't help you. We're set up for a pain clinic and we can't help you. I mean, how does
1: that work? So, well, quite frankly, most pain clinics these days, I mean, if you're coming out as a pain management specialist, like within the past five to 10 years, what they tell you to do for, for most folks with chronic pain, especially in your age group, even the fact that you have this degree of scoliosis, it's the last thing they tell you to do is give you opioids.
2: So, where have you been on
1: them? gotcha. Yeah, you know, two wrongs don't think a right kind of type thing, right? So, so
2: you just suffer? What well, do you do when your patients kill themselves from pain? Like that's what I mean. So it, but here's the thing, and I'm not saying I am. What I'm saying is when I have, I'm not sleeping, I am literally 20 out of 24 hours a day doing something to try to get out of pain. Sure. And then the four hours that I do sleep are separated and I just pass out. So what happens? Like, what do I need to do? Where do I go? Yeah,
1: well, we essentially do the best we can with non-controlled medications, therapies, procedures, psychiatric care. That is pain management in a nutshell, right? That is what exists. I've been through this before. Like, I've been through all this. Yeah, I heard it. And and again, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm trying to sit here and tell you, Hey man, you're not going to get blood out of a turnip kind of type thing, so if our clinic is not a fit for it, then it just may not be a
0: fit. Yeah. You know,
1: instead of, hey, let's just circle this drain, keep on circling, and then you don't get what you want in the end. And the last thing I want to do is discipline. So, but
2: what first I'm first asking time. is, what can you do to help my pain?
1: So, non-controlled medications, therapies, like, procedures, psychiatric. Like, like, So, okay, one, we're kind of an adversarial mm. relationship here. already. No,
2: not I'm not, I'm asking, not. I'm just saying like. I would sure. like an example.
1: Okay, so, medications for pain tend to be a few different things, lowest well, hanging fruit, scheduling tile, anti-inflammatories, topicals, You know, opioids are kind of last in a resort that we really try to keep folks in your age group away from. Things in the middle ground are going to be anti-seizure medications, antidepressants, muscle relaxers, and a few other things. And that's really about it, so. Okay. Yeah.
2: Well, I appreciate your time. Sure. Um, I feel
1: like my time is wasted because
2: there's absolutely nothing that you guys can offer that n- that other people haven't. So, I think my frustration is that every place around here, the doctors are too afraid of what the government is going to do to treat their patients. And I understand they had an opioid epidemic, but they will prescribe medicine that has no point being prescribed for pain. My pregabalin does absolutely nothing mm-hmm. for my back pain, you right. know? Susanna Dean does nothing, okay. and I've gone down this road, and okay. I've done everything that I'm supposed to. So I'm just okay. frustrated, sure. and, okay. you know, my kids are the ones that pay for this.
1: Sorry. Hey, when you're talking about some of these pain complaints, you're trying to make good out of bad situations, and sometimes you just can't. Sometimes it's just going to be a bad situation, and it's unfortunate, and it's applied to the pain patients sometimes. And pain for from providers, like, hey, the last thing I want to do is be inadequate or not be able to make people happy. No, yeah. that's going to be the case sometimes. It just is. So there's
2: just not anything you can do for me.
1: I'm not going to be able to prescribe you control medication. We can talk. Wait,
2: about- okay, yeah, the other medicines. That's what I'm asking. So cymbalta makes my seizures worse. I got
1: you. So I, I think again, it's one of those things where we're kind of circling, circling here, and I, and I just don't think we're going to be the right fit. I'm not going to give you oxycodone.
2: Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I'm asking, can you offer any options for pain? Or, like, I am desperate.
1: Well, so, the, the problem is whenever I start talking about some of these things, it's like, hey, you try a lot of this stuff, and you, you don't have interest. you know. So. It's not
2: that I don't have interest. It's that I'm currently doing them. Mm-hmm. And that's how I get frustrated is, When I talk to these doctors, it's like, well, we can try this, 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 and this, and I'm like, yeah, I get that, and I've tried all of that, and none of that is working right now.
1: And that's why you're getting sent to tertiary care centers.
2: Yeah, I got it. All right, I'm just gonna have to go to a bigger facility. I appreciate your time.
0: Hi, this is part two to our podcast. My name is Bev Sheckman from the Doctor Patient Forum. I have Casey with me today. If you guys heard part one, we played a recording of her doctor's appointment. It was after the DEA had shut down her other doctor, then she got uh, eventually landed at this place, and then this doctor cut her back and then eventually dismissed her. And we played the recording of that appointment. And as Casey was just saying to me, We can talk about it all we want to say we're treated like garbage, but it's it's a completely different situation to actually hear the doctor talking to you this way. And Casey, one thing I keep telling everyone is you might think this was bad, but had your mother not been there, it would have been exponentially worse. I mean- it's you
2: learn as you go and at first I didn't know to bring anyone with me I mean I have been in pain management off and on since I was 20 years old Um, and I didn't go when I was younger because I I knew that I would need it later right like my condition wasn't going to be getting better but the thing about it is I was in shock and then having a doctor lie to you or, or a doctor change or then move a doctor out of your doctor's office and everything that you talked about the medicines that you worked on everything starts over and they to guard the only way that you have to guard yourself is to bring someone with you and even that's not enough because then it comes down to they said she he said she said so we started i started having to record and um i hate doing it i really do but it is the only way that i can make sure that i heard them correctly that I understood what was being said and so when this kind of stuff happens, I have some sort of recourse. I have a stack of recordings, you know, and that's the sad part about it. So, and it's scary. Um, doing this is scary too. Uh, I really struggled with doing it for a little while because I have had stuff come back and bite me reviews that I've done for pharmacies. And I was being honest. I wasn't, it wasn't emotionally charged. It was honesty. And I have had been banned from pharmacies. I've been dismissed as a patient or been accused of being argumentative. That's one of the things that people love to say um, is argumentative. And difficult.
0: Yeah, and for this reason, we tried to keep out any identifying information about the doctor. We were not protecting the doctor by any means. We just oh. didn't want you to possibly get some kind of fallout of this because you're sharing your story. Is it, and I said it before. It's just really brave. It's hard to do. It's like it's ex- it's exposing. Like you're you're letting someone into your your life. And you know, regardless of the fact that it's not our fault that we're treated like this, it still isn't embarrassing. To me, I was like, I remember I had this appointment with a doctor and my husband went with me because I was treated. This was in like 2015. I was treated like garbage. This was in a pain management center and I was treated horribly. And then this doctor comes in and my husband comes in and I was prepping for a colonoscopy. I have Crohn's disease. I needed a colonoscopy the next day or like the next week. And so I had to tell him like, I was scared that my my drug tests, the urine screen would come out weird because they use different medications. Sometimes they use opioids, you know, to put you under. Yeah, and so I was telling him, I was like, but I'm, a, is this going to be okay? Like, do I need a list of, because this is all the stuff we have to do, right? Do I need a list of the medications? Am I going to get in yeah. trouble? What's going to happen? And he literally went like this. He was like, well, you're going to love that, aren't you? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? I'm going to love that, aren't I? And he's like, like as when- soon as that medicine hits you, and he went like this. He's like, as soon as that medicine hits your veins, you're gonna be loving life I was like are you kidding me right now and my husband was like why are you being so nasty and he was like wait what what did I say I was terrible it was terrible yeah
2: and they're I refuse to believe that they're that clueless I refuse to believe that because they would never speak to another person and You can tell they've never dealt with pain a day in their life, much less over time, let's be honest, and have it affect everything. I think the hardest part about this entire process for me has been I was diagnosed at 11 with scoliosis. Now, I did not get diagnosed with stenosis officially. I had to look in my medical records. That happened after the surgery, so we'll cover this in a minute, but some of my, they can't tell me if I'm getting worse or what's going to happen because they don't have the original hands, which is another excuse for them to just no liability. But no one has been honest with me. They, whenever I was younger, it was, oh, you'll be able to work. I have not been able to work in 10 years because of this. Now, if my pain was managed, I would probably function much better, but um, I am not out of my room much now, you know?
0: And that's a shame. And this is something people don't fully understand is that you know, for years with back pain and back issues, and I'm not talking like a tweak in your back, like issues like you have structural serious issues. Their answer was surgery, 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 like uh, procedures, steroid injections, spinal ablation, like nerve ablations and blah, and on and on and on all of these procedures. And a lot of people's spinal cord, just spinal cord stimulators and things like that. And then, you know, they talk about iatrogenic like doctor induced addiction, right? But they don't talk about iatrogenic iatrogenic injuries from all of these interventional pain procedures and surgeries and so you get this stuff because you listen to them and then you get worse and now on top of that, they caused a lot of it and then they they then dismiss you and treat you like, you're making it up, and you're drug-seeking, and you're the problem, and then they refuse to treat your your pain, which is insane. And also, even in the
2: first uh, recording from the other day, when I point-blank asked him, so that means no care, he said no. Well, no, but... He left me with no care. Even if it was 30 days, we yeah. had already been talking about how my circle, I had started looking in like a 30 mile radius, then it was 60 miles, then it was 150 miles. And then I ended up states over, you know, and, and then we didn't even touch on, and he knows about the systems that keep people from getting their medicines. They've had to deal with it, you know, so they're, they play ignorant when it suits them. They compare you to other patients when it suits them. Yeah. But if you compare yourself to another patient, when it when it benefits your uh, point of view in the story, it's not allowed. So there's a lot of double standards that come down. And only with, in my experience, anything that's related to pain control, you know?
0: Well, that's, yes, it is. Because it comes down to opioids for them because they're afraid. And I do get that doctors are afraid. But it didn't become this, oh, doctors are afraid, so we need to try to be careful. What happened was doctors are afraid so they decide to gaslight patients because they have to make a reason to rationalize the way they're treating you and not giving yes. you opioids but let's talk for a second about you said about the distance so before we get into this next appointment yeah uh, on on every single algorithm that there is every red flag it's distant the distance a patient lives from the doctor and the distance a patient lives from the pharmacy and then the pharmacy from the doctor so that triangle that they talk about is really important because in most algorithms, you're allowed to go 25 25 miles if you're in a city and 40 miles if you're out of a city. And if you go beyond that, that's a red flag to the DEA. So the pharmacy is not supposed to fill your prescription if you're more than 40 miles from a doctor. And so What are you supposed to do? You get dismissed by these doctors, and they're like, oh, well, and there's these code words, right? Like, oh, you're too complicated. You need a bigger system. We don't have what you you need, which is ridiculous. They have everything you need. You need opioids. They can give it, they're not. But then you're punished for going outside, and any doctor that takes you is also punished, and they know that, so they're not gonna take you,
2: right? We're the can that gets kicked down the road. That is what's happening. It's a good and way it, to put we're it. We're kicked from one doctor, and that is what ha- we're so specialized in what they do. I get sent to specialist to specialist to specialist, and they just kick the can around until eventually something breaks. You know what I mean? And you're forced to have surgery at a hospital that you don't want to because you were injured, or you're pushed to extreme measures. You know what I mean?
0: I definitely know what you mean, and the issue is, though, the way you explained it is the way it happens. The way they explain it is, oh, this patient goes from doctor to doctor because they don't like what they're told, and they want more care, and they're addicted to being a patient, and they're addicted to surgeries, and they just live as a patient because that's their identity. No, if they would just treat you, Casey, I don't know one patient who likes going to the doctor. Most people who call us are so afraid. They start panicking like a week before they have to go and we have to talk them down and give them like advice on this is how you have to talk. No, patients are not-
2: I have PTSD from it I know I do because they've tried to put me on blood pressure medicine and I have no blood pressure problems unless I'm in pain or going to the doctor so if that is absolutely and they can say what they want it's conditioning you can't be spoken to like you are at these doctor's offices repeatedly repeatedly and you're right it's humiliating because you do have to take people and they're listen for every patient this is the sad part for every patient that's represented here fighting, there are children and families that are the ones that are paying the price. It's not me that's paying the price. Yes, I'm in agony, but my children are the ones that get a short-tempered mother that is not able to, to, you know, do what I would like to do with them. It's not the doctors that pay the price. It is us, and until somebody stands up and says, this is not okay, this isn't fair, and these doctors are making it worse, you know?
0: Yeah. And I don't understand this whole like, we get told all the time that we put ourselves into groups separated from people with OUD and, and and people with pain. And I know we get accused of that. But this is the part that I don't understand. I don't understand the difference in the way you're treated. So for patients with OUD, who say they got addicted from their doctor, they're looked at as victims, their children are looked at as victims of the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. But for us, We're looked at as the aggressors and our children were looked at as causing this for our children. Like I never went on a field trip with my kids. Not one time did I go on one field trip. I missed so many presentations and and concerts and I never got to do any of that because I was always sick and, you know, But I'm blamed for that by the general public. Because if you're sick, you're at fault. If you're in pain, Mm -hmm. you're at fault. And God forbid you say opioids work for you, then you're looked at like a murderer and a Sackler lover and somehow you caused this opioid crisis. And it's insane. Like, it's crazy. Everyone who has died... We're all victims of prohibition. This is a vic- this is an issue with prohibition. I don't think people who were taking oxycontin for something other than physical pain should have been cut off. I don't think they should have. They were killed because of it, but you know, we're blamed for that also. Like I didn't fight for them before because I didn't know they existed before. I didn't yeah, yeah. know anything about about any of it until it hit me, and maybe that's to my shame. I don't know, but I just wasn't aware of what was happening. Until it did hit pain patients, and I, I think we should all fight for for each other because we're all we're all suffering. But the thing is, right now, pain patients are looked at violent, angry, malingerers, drug seekers, liars, complainers, lazy, mm-hmm. drug addicts, like all of these things and i'm getting really t- i'm getting really tired of the the stigma on pain patients
2: it's getting to the point this is the truth that i avoid going to the doctor unless i absolutely have to now yep. and like i the only reason that i'm going to go and get another surgical opinion right now is because i am afraid that my back is going to break and i feel like I need to have the option if I have to do something, but I do not want to have surgery after what happened.
0: That's an, yeah, go ahead.
2: Anyway, I don't got blame listen.
0: you. So, so here's the thing. The doctor was shut down by the DEA. You called a million doctors. Like we said, you went to this other appointment. They cut uh-huh. you down. You had been stable on the dose you were on. They cut you down anyway. They gave it to you. They promised you they would not dismiss you a- until you found another provider. They did anyway, at uh-huh. you, treated you like garbage with everybody. Everybody heard in that last appointment how he spoke to you. And then after that, how many doctors did you call after he dismissed you to try to find another doctor?
2: Oh my gosh. I called um I called at least 15 that I that I can think of off the top of my head before I finally was like there's nobody that's close enough that is willing to treat me that is going to help like it just and I I cannot travel right now. Actually, um, I'm in my bedroom in my bed on a heating pad. I can't sit comfortably. I can't travel. I can't. I just tried to go to a conference with my mom that was not far and I literally couldn't walk. I had to be wheeled around in a wheelchair. Couldn't sit for more than 30 minutes without. I mean, I was in agony. So when they say that, like, These pain patients that are getting um, dropped are, well, they're making it. No, we're not. We are not making it. And I would love for, at some point for you to interview my husband. Um, I would love
0: to do that. That's actually a great idea to talk to family members. Yeah, I would yeah. love to do that.
2: Um, I it's feel like that they have the best because I, he, he says a lot of times I will downplay what happens. Um, I don't know why we do that, but I hate I hate being in a wheelchair. I hate using it. I hate using a cane. It makes me violently angry because I have to use these things and I need them. <laughs> So, um, I, for them to act like we want surgery and we want, who wants to live like this? Who wants to live like this? All I want is um, for my kids to have a normal life, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll do part three with your husband, uh, all three of us. I think that would be, I think people would like to hear that because. Again, we hear from people with lived experience and family members of people who have developed an addiction, but we don't ever get to hear from pain patients. The only pain patients we get to hear from are those who did develop an addiction from their doctor's prescription. And that's the only thing media wants to hear from. Nobody wants to hear from patients like you who were stable, cut off, and now just crashing because there's there's no help for you. Nobody wants to hear from the patients who are still on opioids and have been stable for decades but are terrified to lose access. That's not the narrative they want out there. So yeah, that's a great idea, Casey. I think we should do that. Talk to different family members about what it's like for from their point of view to watch us like watch us be treated like suffer. this.
2: Yeah. Well and you yeah. just I mean I have a ninety some she's I'm not gonna say specifically, but she's ninety some years old and she has horrible spine problems and she is suffering as well in this I mean, it's been hard to watch all the way around. People are suffering and there's just not options to help. And I, here's the thing. They just said that thing about back pain shouldn't be treated with opioids. I think, I can't remember if he says that in this or not, but how can you look at somebody with an S-curve spine or kyphosis or spondylolisthesis or however you say it and honestly tell them if you don't have a deformity like that, that they should be able to deal with their pain. You so know? First of
0: all, I, you're probably talking about, there was an OPAL trial that just came out in the yes. last six months. Okay. So this was in England or Australia, actually. And this study got worldwide attention because they had this vast media implementation plan. Now, this study was not done very well. We could talk about it a little bit because they've used it to apply to all back pain, even though supposedly it wasn't supposed to be. So the people in this study were people who had like mild to moderate pain that was not structural so you wouldn't have been included in that but it's being applied to you this was not for patients who need surgery this was not for patients who needed you know serious procedures this was for patients who woke up and they're like oh i tweaked my back and they go to the doctor and the doctor shouldn't give them opioids now i don't i don't blame them like i I'm, i'm for that I don't yeah. think people should be getting opioids for a slide of defense. And I certainly don't think people should be getting steroid injections after a day of being in pain. Yeah. But in this study, what they gave Casey was this teeny tiny dose of long-acting opioids with naloxone in it. So it was like a ten, I think it was like a five milligram pill twice a day of long-acting for acute pain, which isn't even approved in Australia to be used. Nobody would ever use that medication. Nobody. <laughs> and so they never gave a proper dosage. But then, of course, media is like, we knew it. No one should ever get opioids, even as a last line of defense if they had back pain. And again, even though it wasn't supposed to apply to people like you, it's being applied to people like you, of course, because that's what they do.
2: They That's the other thing is they will use obscure studies, OK, when they want to that's to right. back whatever narrative they're pushing. And if you try to bring a study in, then it's Google doctor uh degree is what they accuse you of. Don't confuse your Google whatever with my degree. Well that's right. It's the same. That's right. Thing.
0: And that's why one of the things that we try to do is we try to give people, equip people with knowledge. Let's we have on our website under resources um a, a document with all of the important studies with the actual statistics about how many develop an addiction, how many go on to inject heroin, how many, um, like all of this information, that's the real information. And we do debunk these studies like OPAL and the space trial. That's another one that was done by Krebs that has been used repeatedly to deny people opioids. It's been misapplied. So that, that is one thing we could do. I mean, we can't find we would love to be able to find doctors for patients, but there's no doctors to be found right now. And if we did, they'd be targeted too. So what's yeah. the point?
2: Yeah. It's not their fault. It is the climate that they have been put in and the teaching that they're given in school. I can tell you that I know the age of some of the doctors based on how they approach those oh, And nurses,
0: absolutely. And that is a direct result of people like Andrew Kolodny, Gary Mandel, oh, Judy yeah. Rumler, because they've lobbied for this education, like that eight hour class that now is required for anyone who has a DEA license, it's a one time eight hour class. But if you look at the classes that are approved for this, these are these people. So when they teach about pain management, they teach to stigmatize people in pain. They teach oh that we are malingerers and drug seekers. And they teach opioids don't work for pain, opioids cause pain. Like they act like that's fact. None of that is fact. There is no evidence that opioids cause pain. We absolutely have evidence that opioids treat pain long term. So that's a lie. It's all a lie. But you're right. The younger nurses and the younger doctors, they just treat them like like they treat anyone in pain like garbage, not just pain patients, uh, chronic pain patients, but acute pain patients too. They're treated like, like trash and it's done it's nothing. Funny.
2: Let me say this about the previous guy too. I... Yeah had been talking to him for over a year before I started with him. Over a year. He had been filled in the whole way. He had been talking to me. I had talked to him probably four times. I know I had three different appointments with him. He didn't bill it because it was never put on my um, record. But I know that I spoke to him. So, um, the fact that's another thing, them um, making you explain every single time you go in. Yes. No matter how many times you've talked to them. And he remembered me every other time before this, right? So, and then oh my gosh. they also do it's almost like dueling um, attorneys where you'll have one doctor say one thing, the next doctor will completely contradict the first one. So you have to play this fine line of playing stupid and knowing um, enough to where you can be like, wait a minute, that's not right. And then yeah. most of the time you just are quiet and then move along to the next doctor, but they waste yeah. your time. They waste yeah. your energy. And it could have been a telehealth appointment. Let's That's be the other
0: thing. Not to mention the fact that it wastes your whole day and takes all of your energy out of you because just going to the appointments is emotionally draining. It's physically mm-hmm. draining. We have to rest like that's what people don't understand when you're sick, when you're in pain, you have to rest after you exert yourself, you have to save up energy and then rest after and there's no reason why you had to go to any of these appointments. So let's talk about this, this, this second doctor's appointment, everyone will have just listened to the the appointment in its entirety, we're going to play it at the beginning. Um, of this we played it at the beginning of this podcast so I just took a few notes here when you went into this appointment what were you feeling before he walked in
2: I was actually nerve. I was super nervous and I was not hopeful at all. <laughs> like this is, I, I kept praying like, if this is a waste of my time, let him just get to the point. That's what I kept yeah. thinking was if it's a waste, surely they wouldn't have brought me in here to waste my time. Because I had to get all sorts of scans. I had to have it uh, done on a disc instead of them getting it off the computer. Which, come to find out when I got over there, they did have it on the computer. <laughs>
0: Oh my so I'd gone
2: through all that extra work for nothing and had to drive out to the new hospital. And like there was a few like there's stuff that goes on in the background and I cannot walk into places. I have to, it takes me a minute to get anywhere to, and I can't go to the grocery store. So like getting into these places to get this stuff was a deal. And this place was actually in a hospital, too. Which I had to drive out and um, cross a mountain to get there, so I was nervous and pessimistically
0: optimistic. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes that that's exactly what it's like because you're you're scared, but you got this little bit of hope, like maybe they'll treat me like a human being this time. And mm-hmm. okay, so he walks in and. Like, right away, you hear him talking, and he, he asks you about your history with surgery, and you go through all of that. But what was his face? We didn't get to see his face. Like, what was he, when you're talking, what was he acting like? Was he dismissive? Was he acting interested? He was acting
2: uh, like he was listening, but he wouldn't look at me, and he he made me so uncomfortable. Like, it was really awkward, if that makes sense. He kept fidgeting on his dumb little roll-around chair. Um, and Ew. like I said, I was by myself. For this one, so I just kind of tried to stay as blank on my face as possible because I was trying not to laugh. If you want the honest truth, because I am a nervous laugher <laughs> Me and like too,
0: it's so too bad. and so, oh, I, knew if I so started, bad. I would not stop. <laughs> it's, like, especially because this guy, like people will have just learned, he has some weird like nervous tick where he says. T- what is it type kind of type deal?
2: Type deal and like, I mean, he, he says it at the end thing of every... with his neck when he did that. And like, I was just... <laughs> plus, so, he reminds me of he's very young, he reminded me of my son's age, you know what I mean? Like, my oldest oh, son is, is 19, so that's what he reminded me of. He just looked so young, so it's of
0: okay. course, he looked young, yeah, yeah, he did. And uh, so pretty early on, you tell him I uh, was abandoned by this doctor, and he chimes in now in 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 this doctor's defense to his credit at least he was honest about it (laughs) where he's like i'm gonna tell you why he dismissed you he wanted you off his role
2: and here's another conundrum of of our situation. The previous doctor dismisses you. When you go to a new clinic, you have to go in there like, do I bring it up first? Do I wait and bring it up later? <laughs> like, yeah. how do I do this? It's almost like um, you feel like you're going on a blind date and trying to tell someone that you have children or something that didn't know. I mean, which. Yeah, I that's a good time. Imagine any other like it's just so nerve wracking. So I always feel like being honest is the best possible policy it is honesty is always best with me so because I can't keep I'm not smart enough to keep up with lies so yeah I know that I have to be honest and I told him the truth up front and yeah. this is how it goes and here I he mean goes.
0: like th- this is the thing like first of all he used the word narcotic you're young you're on a lot of narcotic and that word is only used when they're trying to stigmatize they right. use narcotic you'll never hear them talking about suboxone as a narcotic
2: And he also didn't say the reason that you're on this specific narcotic is because I have drug allergies and I have also had to there. I've never been asked to justify my symptoms for an allergy until the like what happens when you take that. Because it's a red
0: flag. That's yes. why, Casey, because that has become a red flag. If you have a drug out, like even one time, so Zofran is an anti-nausea med, and it gives me literally a migraine instantly if they give it to me in my IV. It doesn't and then, work for me either. So, so it, yeah, it gives me this migraine, but fenergin has always worked well. I didn't know that people drug seek Phenergan. So there was one time I was in the emergency room for Crohn's and they're trying to give me Zofran. And they're like, well, you wrote it's an allergy. I was like, well, it's not really an allergy, but I get a migraine immediately, which is going to make me vomit. And I'm already here because I'm vomiting. So why is it? And they're like this, it was a female doctor. And she's like, does that really happen or do you just like Fennergan? I was like, I What do you like? mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Do I just like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I didn't like even the know. Coma Because that's what it oh. does. I much. mean, I <laughs> like not throwing up. So, yeah, so. yeah I love it's it. And that, that also
2: puts me to sleep. Thank you. Well, you're Let not allowed see. to take
0: that either anymore. Funny so. story,
2: real quick. Um, well, I know that we kind of touched on when I was at the hospital. Um, if we have time, I do want to go into what happened, but I was having a reaction to we think morphine they were not coming in every six hours when they were coming in they they dosed me and then would leave and they were not helping me my mom said they also didn't feed me for almost 24 full hours uh it was crazy um not 24 it was like 18 by the time it was done i think so anyway my mom kept telling them the zofran's not working because i was vomiting horribly and i was having seizures my uh, drain was pushed out because i was vomiting so much and they accused me of pulling it out she kept telling them to give me fenugrin because zofran doesn't work it took them over 12 hours before i had surgery at 7 a.m they did not get any medicine in me that helped until 3 a.m and i had been vomiting in an episode the whole time And it was they accused me again of my mom found out later it was because of the fenugren and they wouldn't change the pain medicine. And she kept saying she had to ask, what are you giving her? They wouldn't tell her. So, yes, I understand. And I didn't realize that was a red flag either fennegrine was what they used to give you i
0: know <laughs> i know but apparently is. apparently the dea says it's a red flag at this point so whatever uh, let's just talk briefly because this doctor starts giving you all of these he tells you you're on a lot of narcotic he tells you you're young and uh-huh. this is why he dismissed you and he wants yep. you off your roll and he says it pretty like straightforward at least he was honest about it but then he starts going into why you need to stay all within the same system so you need to go where at the big hospital where your are is where the print management is, which, but tell us, tell our listeners, like, why weren't you able to do that? Like were they not willing to work with you? Was it you not wanting to go? No. What happened? So there? I checked in
2: and got in touch. Duke is really the 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 was the final straw for this because I had checked in with Erlinger and Chattanooga. I checked in Atlanta. I checked um in Florida. Oh my gosh, we'd been all over the place. I checked in Maryland and New York. Anyway, um we had checked and uh, Duke what had done all this stuff? I met with their doctors. I had to meet with some uh, pain psychiatrist and do all these appointments. And then crickets. I I had to contact Duke customer advocacy twice, twice to get in touch with them. And then not one week later was when the CEO stepped down at Duke. So I don't know if it's what's going on over there, and I haven't heard anything since except for I've gotten plenty of bills. Um, How far
0: are you from Duke, if that's where your pain management and everything was? four
2: hours with no traffic, one so, way. Th-
0: so this is someone, this doctor is saying to you, like, Duke is the best bet. Um, you on pain management there. But you can't sit in a car. You no. can't walk. And now no. they're wanting you to go to... 4 hours one way and and this would be a monthly pain management appointment right. because we're not allowed telehealth like that that right. would never be allowed and not only that but then you have to be available for random urine count random urine screen random pill counts where you would have to actually get in the car and drive 4 hours and and they have the counseling
2: appointments you have to go to you have to go to pt there i would i'm sure be required that was the other thing was they were they keep saying that i'm non compliant at these places because i refuse the epidural injections no i have been told not to get them they have hurt me in the past um you're not putting anything else in my spine yeah like
0: no, th- i mean and we had that podcast about epidural serum injections there it's it's not even fda approved in this country it's contraindicated in other countries because there's a lot of evidence for harm of harm with it with not very much evidence for benefit but you know they like to make it sound like oh well this patient she's not she doesn't want to go to this hospital to do all this stuff but it logistically it's impossible. And I found that really interesting because that's not how they present it. When you hear these zealots presenting it, it's always, well, the patients refuse to be active in their care. They refuse to do all these things, but that's not what actually is going on most of the time. Can I add one thing? Yeah,
2: go ahead. Um, I also need to add, I was the patient that after a fusion surgery and every back surgery I had, I was never shown how to stand or sit or lay down. I was never shown how to do anything properly because I was moving so much after surgery in pain. They just let me go because I was walking and doing everything, trying to get out of pain. I couldn't stop moving for weeks. And I kept telling them that every and I was also I left the hospital with no back brace. Like there's been a lot of things. Uh, One other major thing was I was not told after my fusion that I was not supposed to take uh, NSAIDs, which... uh, They didn't even tell
0: you that? They didn't
2: tell you? No, I took them without knowing for six months until a nurse randomly said something to me about it because she thought I knew. So... I don't know if they were supposed to go over things with me and maybe, but it seems like when you're labeled as difficult or you have anything that happens outside the norm, everything falls apart.
0: Yeah, because everything in their mind is you drug seeking and you faking. So that's all that they focus on and they don't care about the rest. And anything that happens, they'll just blame you, right? Because you're just a lowly pain patient who was after opioids. So then this doctor says, you know, the government wants you at 40 MME or below and people complain about it, but those are the laws. Well, I wish he had told you what government and what laws, because there is not one government, not one law. The only state that has an actual law about MME is uh, Maine and it's 100 and below. Rhode Island has like this 30 MME, but that's for acute pain that has nothing to do with what you're going through. What was he talking about? Do you think he was talking about the CDC guidelines? Yeah, I do. I
2: think that they are given some ambiguous information apparently at some point, And it's kind of like the telephone game. By the time yeah. it makes it back to the patient, it's morphed. And I, I have yeah. to blame the – because, you know, I said earlier, these doctors tell you different information. That is the only explanation I have as to how – such drastic information changes from one doctor to another that are around yeah. the-
0: and they bank on the fact that patients don't have the information so being educated is our biggest uh, just weapon, really, is for us to know what we're talking about. But I do want to say on not this doctor's behalf, but on doctors in general, they have a lot of pressure. They get these... So all of these things that were supposed to help, the opioid crisis, prescription drug databases, risk scores, arresting doctors, all of this that was supposed to help everything, doctors get these kickback letters. So prescription drug database, they show what a doctor prescribes as far as controlled substances. But they get these report cards from the from like CMS, from different payers, from the whoever runs their PDMP, from the DEA, from the OIG, from their state medical board, from the Department of Health. Like they get these kickback letters and they're constantly bombarded. So for all we know, the day before you went there or maybe even that morning. Maybe he got a report card that said, you got to get your prescribing down. We don't know because they don't study these things. Right. Uh, so they, they are scared. And so I think sometimes the doctor's too afraid to say, I'm scared to prescribe. So they blame it on the DEA. They blame it on the state medical boards and they lie to make it look yes. like they're the good guys, you know, and, and maybe I feel that's like what happened.
2: If they would just be honest and I, it's the approach for me. Like, don't attack us and try to make it sound like it's our fault and somehow we are doing something wrong because you are unable to do your job effectively. You yeah. Know?
0: Yeah. And Where were the doctors? Why didn't they stand up in 2016 and fight? Where have they yes, been? You see I know. the addiction doctors who have been together and fight and fight, which is great. Where the heck are our doctors, Casey? I don't know. Why is this left up to us?
2: I know. And here's the other part. My husband loves to make this analogy about this. He is a carpenter. He builds, you know, homes and does things like that for a living. But he, if he made a piece of furniture or built something on a home that wasn't correct and didn't make his customer happy, do you think he would get paid? I mean, he doesn't no. get paid. You know what I mean? I don't have that option. And there, then they wouldn't
0: blame the customer either.
2: Exactly. There's no recourse for me if my doctor nope. leaves me crying crippled, which they have, doesn't do their job. And they're calling me about the bill. And what am I like? They call and they're like, you owe on this. I'm not paying that because you guys crippled me. What do I do? I have no recourse. I still have to pay it. You know what I mean? So it's just a
0: nightmare. Yeah. The whole thing is definitely a nightmare. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are in this position of being crippled because of surgeries. And then now they're being left without without pain care. And Casey, it's not like you were on a ton of opioids. Like you hear him talking about in this, um, in this that you were on 100 MME, but you really weren't. You were on mm-hmm. 50 milligrams on of oxycodone, 50. which yeah. is 75 MME. Now you had been on a little bit more before they cut you down after that doctor was shut down but it wasn't thousands of mme like Mm-mm. it wasn't very reasonable just years ago 200 was considered what was considered higher you weren't anywhere near 200 no. no so he says 100 you're on 75 here you play dumb because you didn't want to fight where you're like yeah. oh yeah i forgot that's how you do it even though you knew he was wrong because like you said it's a game you have to you have yeah. to test the waters and like try to make it so they don't well, treat you And your face,
2: sometimes um, I react before my brain catches up and is like, wait, they're not supposed to know that we know. Play dumb, you know, because there's just no point in arguing. I've tried every approach with these doctors. And if you've seen one, you've seen them all. There is not one that has been different. Not one. No.
0: And you have to play a game. Like, it's not fair, but there are so many rules. So here you are. It takes you forever to get ready in the morning you're in agony you can hardly walk you're upset because you're in your 30s you should have a normal life you do not kids are suffering you go to this appointment and you can't even be honest like you have to play a game you have to play a role you have to know what you can say what you can't say how to say it it's not fair it's it it it's atrocious and it's just continuing to get worse. But then this doctor starts saying to you, well, you gotta try this. Like, I'm not giving you narcotics. You gotta try this. And you're like, but I've already tried it. And then he goes on to use that, just like the other guy did, as a reason to say, well, this isn't a good fit for you, right? Mm So why?
2: Why was he even asking me questions? Why did he meet with me? Because you can tell he ought, he starts out by sounding like he's going to help me and maybe yeah. offer a couple different things. But it's like once he finds out that I've been down this. I mean, I've been down this road. I'm 38, but I've been dealing with this since you know, for 20 years. And like, how do they think that there's going to be one patient that this stuff doesn't work for it? There's going to well, be. And one that's,
0: patient- it. that's it. That's Casey. Here's the thing. This is how they present it. These patients want opioids and only opioids. They don't want to try anything else ever. That's how they present it. Opioids last resort. Okay. I'm all for that. Opioids yes. last resort. But the thing is, you've exhausted everything else. You've tried everything else. So opioids should be allowed, but they're still using the same argument as though you're not trying the other stuff. And he's like, I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you oxycodone. And he calls it oxy again. again yeah. Used so to the stigmatize. only way
2: that I have thought that we could show what it's like, um, honestly, I don't know if you saw this years ago over in London. I think they put a person that was going through withdrawal in like a a room where they were being videotaped for, like, I don't know, however long it was. It was horrible to watch, okay? But oh I thought, gosh. what if they put somebody like me in a room like that for a week and let people see what I go through on a daily basis and yeah. how often I move and, and, like, what I do? Let let them watch. let You know, that would be horrible because you yeah. have no privacy, but I think people... Yeah would be shocked I think they'd be shocked yeah
0: I think they would be like I think about it so people with back issues like you or Crohn's like me like I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning or else I can't take my kid to school because my stomach is a mess like And I'm in remission, like this is when I'm doing well. Like people Mm -hmm. don't, every other weekend, I take chemotherapy every weekend, methotrexate. Every other weekend I take methotrexate and a biologic on those weekends where I take both. I sleep the entire weekend, like just to live a normal life in the week. I've got to sleep all weekend. Like I can't, like every single night I'm in bed by seven o'clock, sometimes 6.30. Dinner's over, I'm in bed.
2: I'm like that, but the reason that I am in bed so early is because I don't sleep more than two or three hours and then I that's and- the other
0: thing people yeah. don't see.
2: Yeah. And, and, and I'm up walking my floors. They talk about a pain ritual. I have a pain ritual that is, I could probably filled, fill a three-ring binder with my pain ritual. And these doctors are like, oh, well, you'll hear it whenever I actually and shut up and play it. No,
0: this is the thing. Like, this is what I also want to talk to people about. So they've already heard your appointment. And I wanted to ask you about this, right? Because I'm looking at my notes here. So After you go through saying, okay, so you're not going to give me opioids, like you're begging for your life. You can hear it. And you're like, let me tell you what every day is like and what you just talked about. You said- I don't sleep more than this amount of time. I get up and I do this. I have this this thing for my back. I have this, like you tell him, every non-opioid, every self-management. I do Pilates, I do yoga, I have an instructor, I have this brace, like every single thing you try. And instead of him having any compassion, this made me so angry, he comes really? back with, well, that's your pain ritual. You think you're the only one who has to deal with that? You're not. Can you imagine if someone, I know I keep comparing this to addiction and the only reason I am is because right now, Removing stigma from addiction is a big discussion, as it should be. But yes. what if someone came to a doctor and they're like, I'm going through withdrawal. I need help. Can you give me Suboxone? And the doctor's like, you think you're the only one who go through withdrawal? You're not. Yeah. Deal with I'm... it. Because that's what's happening. How did I you feel thinking... when he said that to you? Oh, I what wanna... did that feel like.
2: Oh. I wanted to come that's the thing is you want to grab them and just be like because ah, it's all it's years of this coming to a head and he gets to go home and sleep tonight and eat that's dinner right. with his family and go that's out right. to eat if he wants to I haven't been able to sit in a restaurant comfortably in years like oh I went gosh. and sat in an olive garden uh, last week for the first time it's been over 10 years since I've been able to sit in a restaurant comfortably and even that was not comfortable. I had to sit in a booth and that involved me moving around a lot and sitting sideways and like I know people think that something's wrong with me when I'm in public because I'm constantly having to shift my weight and moving standing hurts and I don't look like anything's wrong with me from a glance. So I get a lot of comments and a lot of, I've had more people ask me what's wrong with me, what's got me on a cane and I just want to be like our medical system.
0: (laughs) Well, it's true. It is our medical system because you could be living a very normal life with your physical condition had they not done to you what they did to you. So so you go through this, he he the, he gaslights, he downplays, he makes it sound like, what, you think you're so special that you have this. This is all my patients at this point. And then he starts to make it sound like we're out of options. Yeah. You're not willing to try this stuff, but you're not out of options because there are opioids. They work for you, they have worked for you. But he's starting to give you all of these other things, right? And now he gets a little bit weird because he's like you can try non-opioids you're like i've tried it you can try <laughs> procedures you're like i've tried it and then he says you can try other things and you're said like what and he talks and you're like like what and his response is well, now we're in an adversarial relationship. So
2: this is prime example. What I have found, and this is um, something that I don't know if it's, I, and I hate to say this, I don't like to be that wo- That's because I'm a woman, but I don't know if it's because I'm a woman. But for some reason, if you, if they're trying to give you an ambiguous answer and not be held down on something and give you a direct answer and you... Just ask. I did. I wasn't trying to be argumentative. I was very much trying to keep my tone because sometimes I sound curt and I don't mean to. Yeah. Um, and so I was trying very hard to be like, what can you do? Please give me some options. Because if no one else can give me any other options, then the first doctor lied to me when he said I'd be better off at a different center because they all have the same options in the same toolbox then.
0: Yeah. What is a what is a bigger hospital going to offer you except for more extensive surgery where they're not going to give you pain treatment after? There's nothing else to do for you. You have actually exhausted every possible everything other than some kind of like medical trial for some new something yeah. that might possibly coming out. And then, and then... He goes into, you're like, okay, tell me what I can do. And then he says, well, you got to keep a healthy body, which you don't look like you're overweight. No,
2: that's the other thing. Thank God they haven't been able to throw my weight because I, I can't eat and I, I'm sick to my stomach all the time from the pain level. But that's another thing is the they keep saying, well, there's nothing that they can do. Also, the surgeons keep telling me that they cannot tell me if the surgery will actually help. All they can tell me that it will do is it will stop the progression of my curve that is it. That's all they can tell me. So, so it
0: I, might make you work. Like, worse. So you don't really know no. is your extreme pain right now from the curve
2: or from the surgery they've done right. for you. We have no idea. We have no idea. And I don't know if it's from the pressure that the surgery put on the curve, but I know that they should have done a larger surgery to begin with because this has been hell.
0: And when you had your first surgery... It, the climate wasn't so anti-opioid as it is now, right? Like, it's gotten worse and worse and worse, or was I it had already? My,
2: yeah, well, it's... I had my... The, the three surgeries that I had were within four months... Um, because oh my the gosh! First year failed so quickly, and they were not wanting to give me opioids then. I had waited to go to the surgeon after leaving after the pain clinic closed because I wanted my system completely cleaned out because I was so freaked out about being pulled off my meds against my will, and this has happened before. Let's be honest: if you've been in pain management for more than ten years off and on, you are going to experience this at some point. A doctor kicking you out or whatever. That's why we're conditioned to be afraid of it. So I... (laughs) know to be wary of stuff like that but that's why I waited and then I started having surgery and he assured me that if these surgeries didn't work that he would do this big fusion well then after the fusion didn't work it was we're not equipped to do the surgery we are no way near equipped to do the surgery and then I started figuring out that he knew that to begin with before he ever touched me
0: and the thing is, Casey, like people are going to be listening to this and they're going to say, oh my gosh, this is my situation. Because it does seem like about 50% of the people who contact us have had spinal surgeries and interventional pain procedures that damaged them and then they're left to die and gaslit and treated like this. So it seems to be a large percentage of the chronic pain issue. They caused it and now they're gaslighting everybody because of it. And what's interesting, that opal sur- study we're talking about, that was part of a larger low back pain Lancet like series in, in the Lancet. And in that series, they actually said there's opioids were such a small part of it. They said there's no evidence for opioids for low back pain, but there's no evidence for steroid injections, spinal surgeries, interventional pain procedures. And so their conclusion from those was don't offer these things at all. But for some reason in the United States, we only grasp onto the don't offer opioids. Because interventional pain doctors, man, they sure—I don't know—I think the OIG is going to start going after them big time because they're offering unnecessary procedures to people, getting a ton of money from these procedures.
2: Yeah, and it goes against the do no harm. I mean, absolutely. Because listen, these epidural injections—and like, I a family member of mine's getting ready to have a spinal cord stimulator put in because they're desperate for a relief. Oh from my psionica. gosh! And no, you know, when no, I'm,
0: no, no, don't. I've there's oh. more.
2: Believe me because after and they know what's happened to me. I mean, I wouldn't there's no mm-hmm. way I'd let somebody touch me right now unless no. I had to. But you know, they're desperate and I understand it because you don't wanna believe it. But then when you're forced in one of these situations, boy, you believe it quick. And And that's the, the thing.
0: Casey, they're pushing people to the street because mm-hmm. you're met you're brought to this point where you're like, you've done all the procedures, you've done all of everything, you're in agony. You're either gonna suffer the rest of your life or you have the option to go to the street. Some people try Mm -hmm. Kratom um, and some people have found some success with it. But but really people who aren't street savvy, who've never considered illicit opioids before are considering the street and they're dying because they're in that much pain. Yeah, so, or they're drinking themselves to death. Let's be
2: honest. There's so many people that are drinking right now. And yeah. the only other option they have is marijuana. And that does not treat pain, a serious pain. It doesn't treat pain like no. opioids do. It does no. not. No.
0: This, no, and it's not even legal in our state for medical marijuana. But but it doesn't. That's the other thing. Now, it used to be the gateway drug. Now, all of a sudden, it's a solution for the opioid crisis. Surely, that's being pushed by the marijuana cannabis industry right and 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 then they'll speak against opioids to to push their cause and then it's just the whole thing is a nightmare and and i just think everyone should be allowed to put in their bodies whatever they want to put in their bodies for whatever reason if you want to take opioids for physical pain you should be allowed if it Mm -hmm. helps your depression and you want to take it for emotional pain they should be allowed to, but our what government has just de- right. My go- Our government has decided that it's only allowed for physical pain. It's not allowed for f- emotional pain, except for Suboxone, which also treats depression. They say, but that's good. Prescription opioids can treat depression. That's bad. And then if you take prescription opioids to help you sleep, that's misuse. But I just heard a webinar where someone said Suboxone can help you sleep, and that's considered good. The very same. Nonsense. Yeah, no, it's so crazy. I'm so sick and tired of the double standard. And and
2: there's a group even in the opioid use community. What about the people that are that are on, you know, that are going to be on those meds forever because they're they can't get off. Okay, Um, some of them will, but a lot of them won't. What about if
0: they get hurt one day?
2: How do they treat their pain? Nobody's even no, talked
0: about that horribly because they call us. Like we have so many people who contact us. We had one guy. He he's on uh, Suboxone and it was suboxone or methadone it was one of the two he had OUD and he had like a serious acute attack of it ended up being I forget it was appendix or gallbladder but they called us from the emergency room and and they not only weren't giving him pain medicine they stopped his prescription for suboxone and this is the thing if you're on daily opioids for OUD or for physical pain it doesn't matter if it's on if it's suboxone schedule two or methadone it doesn't matter why if you're on daily opioids at all, and you have an acute issue, you are going to be treated like garbage. You are oh, yeah. not going to be treated well. Often the medication will be stopped in addition to not having anything else treated. And you're going to be treated like a piece of garbage. And that's the way it is. But all this money, $60 billion, is flowing into these states. And yeah. they and make really, it sound like... When you
2: go to the hospital for surgery, they tell you it is illegal to bring your medication in there, okay, that they have to give you medicine. When I was in the hospital, they did not give me my regular meds. So I know we've talked about my surgeries. I do want to say this. Um, My three surgeries were in 2021. I had um, a surgery at the end of July, And that failed within um, like 72 hours. I had another one at the end of August that failed within three or four days. And then they operated again in November. Um, And that's when they did the fusion at L5S1. Now, the agreement was that I was going to be having surgery for the big fusion within 12 months. And (laughs) we see how that's gone. Um, Let me look at my notes, Bev. Hang on. I
0: did make notes, which I think... Yeah, go through. I want to make sure we cover everything that you want to cover.
2: So, the surgeon that started this whole thing, and I I know I've mentioned I've been gaslit across this, I have... I've been gaslit a lot but the surgeon that started the surgeries on all of this he had two physician's assistants that got fired during this Uh, one of them was the only human that has been honest with me and told me what was gonna happen and he I left in tears because he was like you're probably not gonna be able to walk before you're 40 and everything that he said came I mean it was like bam 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 he was right the next appointment I talked to the doctor about it, and we were, of course, you know, really upset because nobody had been honest with us until this point. We had been told scoliosis doesn't cause pain. There were no other problems that were going to come from it. You know, I was going to be fine. I wasn't ever going to need surgery. And then it was, it's not if, it's when. And you're going to have, it could, uh, it's going towards your heart. You could start having problems breathing. Um, oh my It could gosh. cause hip problems, you know. <laughs> And um, he was the doctor threw him under the bus, fired him, made a big deal about it to me. And that is not the only time. These surgeons, if I ever question what a PA or an NP says, they throw the NP under the bus immediately, and the NPs are the only one that are left picking up the pieces after a surgery's gone wrong, after something has happened. And um, it's sad because I feel like the nurse practitioners and the physician's assistants are the only ones that see the full scope of what is happening. And I think these surgeons are running as many scans as they can and doing as many surgeries as they can to run up that bill because they're not getting m- money any other way. At least that's what it feels like. I feel like everybody wants to operate and nobody actually wants to help me.
0: Yeah, because uh, there's there's no money, Casey, in just medical management. There's, there's, We've actually had doctors say to patients, I'm not keeping you here. I need someone here who's going to make me some money. So there's no, yeah.
2: I'm not surprised. I'm sure there will be other things that I'll think of after we um, stop talking, but honestly, I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is I don't have it in me to fight this. I am fighting for my kids, and I'm fighting for my husband, and I'm fighting for my family and the other people out there who don't have the support system that I do to be able to... go after some of these people and i hope some of these doctors i don't necessarily want them to lose their license because honestly i don't wish them ill will i truly believe that they are misinformed and they are acting out of bad information okay and that they just don't know and they've never dealt with pain but i truly hope That they either are educated or we can fix something because I'm truly afraid at how disgusted they seem with people that are truly in pain. I mean, I have the scans to back it up and these doctors across the board have me questioned, well, what happens when you have a reaction? I have reactions um, on record at the local ER that the nurses watched that took hours to bring me out of. You know, That's one other thing I wanted to mention. When they were in my medicine, I get accused a lot of um, having anxiety problems. I do not have anxiety problems. I have anxiety about being in pain that's uncontrolled. I have claustrophobia and we have a closed MRI machine at our hospital so I have to take something so that I can get through the MRI. When they run my information that shows up if I've had them in the past 12 months that comes in too that's another thing that that is um if, if we're going to talk about the stigma, let's talk about the stigma that goes across the board. They will pull up anything to try to keep you from your medicine. And I have ADHD that's untreated because I had to choose between my pain medicine and my ADHD. And I have to choose between my CBD and my pain medicine because a lot of times, and they can say what they want, it shows up on drug tests or it'll pop. I can take a drug test every month for six months and it will be fine. And then one out of the six months will pop all of a sudden for no reason. You'll go send off the oil and everything and they'll be like, oh, yeah, it was a mistake. They can say what they want about those tests, but there's something to that showing up,
0: you know. Well, there definitely is. And we're having on next week we're interviewing that um, toxicologist who's going to break it all down. For us about how this happens. Because... And they also
2: need to talk about how the labs have a 20% error rate. Yep. I mean, when you call them, if I had a 20% error rate on yep. um, the information that I gave to my doctor, I would not be considered a credible witness. Like, let's be honest. No,
0: but they... then the doctors, if they don't dismiss you based on it, or if they don't take your meds away based on it, if they, that, that is a red flag to the DEA or the state medical board. And then they go through the patient chart and they're like, this patient tested positive for medical for marijuana and you didn't dismiss them why no one seems to care that They won't let you retest or that it was a false positive or anything else. It's just punish the patient.
2: Or that the patient has seizures and maybe they use CBD for seizures and it just was wrong.
0: CBD is legal. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like medical marijuana is not even legal in this state. So we're not talking about medical marijuana. We're not talking about THC. We're talking about CBD that maybe had a tiny bit extra THC in it because it's not as regulated. That triggered this result. Who cares?
2: Right. Right. Oh, let's let's also mentioned that, Claudia, about that uh, drug result. I have contacted the lab and I'm going to say the name of the lab. It's Luxor Labs out of South Carolina. I've talked to them three times and I have a recording of talking to them. They have said the way that um, the pain clinic is set up with their lab, it's under contract because they did not request the lab directly And they are not a clinical lab. It is not, they are not legally allowed to speak to the patient directly. So I have to contact my doctor. Called and left messages. I have emailed. I'm going to call again and and see what I can do about it. But I can't figure out how to dispute it. And I would feel like they would just do the dispute to get me to stop calling them. I don't want to deal with them anymore. I wish that they would just like fix it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to talk to Claudia about that because I don't even know the answer to that one, and I need to ask her her opinion on that. She's dealt with labs a lot more than I have. It's uh, just a nightmare.
2: If we can't get our medical results, if we don't get misleading information, this is the only way that we have to um, absolutely have our back. And here's the other thing. I hide my recorder on my person because I've had to leave my bag. They've made me leave jackets outside and there are always big signs everywhere. Don't record, don't record, don't record. Well, the last surgeon that I went to that was um, honest and referred me out and told me who to go see. He's the only guy that's been honest with me. He's also, he was also retiring the next month. So, Uh (laughs) (laughs) um, but he told me, um, that to go to this hospital and he had a thing in his office that recorded audio and video automatically it was motion detected and it typed up their notes so that he didn't have to but it kept it for a week and you could download it as the patient wow as a service and I was like if they don't have anything to hide why are they not recording it
0: yeah, that's an excellent, that's an excellent point. So the end of this conversation, this doctor's like, we're circling the drain. I'm not giving you Oxy. We're not the right fit, meaning I'm not giving you opioids and I don't care. Right. So since this appointment, uh, did you try to call any other doctors? Yes.
2: I've contacted over 15 hospitals. Uh, because let's be honest, I, I have started looking at the hospital to go with the surgeon and the pain clinic. Um, I have contacted uh, at least 15 pain clinics and they either outright tell me that um, they're not a good fit or it's too far for me to drive and I would run into problems with my prescription or they won't tell me if they'll prescribe medicine. And if you ask if they'll prescribe medicine, then you won't get in anyway because then they accuse you of narcotics. Seeking. So it's a catch 22.
0: So, needless to say, you remain abandoned. Um, Without Um, care. Yeah. Without care. The DEA shut that doctor down however long ago. Yep. Opioid rapid response program didn't help you. Nobody helped you. You've been abused repeatedly in the medical system. It's no fault of your own. Never misused your medicine, never developed OUD, never did anything wrong, jumped through their hoops dismissed by the doctor that took you treated hardly by another doctor never found another appointment and this is the case all over the country millions of patients are in your situation and our country is doing nothing about it nothing Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing
2: i just appreciate you and claudia working so hard for us because we cannot we can't go out here and fight for ourselves we can't get out of bed you know let's be honest
0: I mean, and people get really down on us, Claudia, especially for being so outspoken. But let me tell you something. She's the only one who tells it like it is. Because oh my
2: gosh,
0: I love be, her. I, right? Because being all neutral and being like, well, I want a seat at the table. And so I'm just going to sit here with my enemy and tell them no. how amazing. No, no, because that's not helping. Nothing has been helping. So we we will continue to bring awareness to abandoned patients forced opioid tapers, people losing access to care. And I just, I appreciate your willingness to come on and discuss this. And I think I'm going to take you up on that. If your husband's willing to talk, I think we should do a part i I'm going to run it
2: by him. I I've volunteered him. I know that he is, he is very outspoken about the other side of this too, and being a family member. And it just, listen, coming from them is different. It's different. And that's Who really pays the price for this? You know, he's a single dad is what it is with a wife, with an extra disabled child is what it feels like, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's a really great idea and a great point. And we try to tell family members, other family members to get your spouses on the page, get your loved ones on our pages, because sometimes they have the energy and the emotional wherewithal to deal with it and the physical energy when we just, you know, we're sick. We can't when we can't. So yeah, I'll look forward to talking to him if you could convince him to do it. I will <laughs> let him know. Thank you so much, Bev. Thank you, Casey. I appreciate you doing this. Your episode was pretty popular, so we're going to keep sending it out there. And uh, yeah, and if anyone has recordings that you want to send me, feel free to send them. Of course, we always say if you are in a state where it is illegal to record, where you're in a two-party state, we are not telling you to record. So we're not yes. telling you to break the law. So you need to check that out in your state. In our state, we are not in a two-party state, so it was legal for you to record this appointment. <laughs> yes. um, but anyway, Casey, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks I hope so much, you- Bev. Yeah, have a great day, and I'll send this to you when it's done, okay? Okay. Bye. Thanks, Casey. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to see before and after the show discussion, including a video recording of this entire unedited podcast, please head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the doctor patient forum. It's a wonderful community over there. It's a great way to support our cause while accessing Extra content, extra videos, extra posts. We even have some FOIA responses over there. So I hope to see you over there. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. Just a quick disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice.